North Rock Podcast. No, this is my home church, and fortunately I'm not here as often as I'd like because I kind of have a busy travel schedule, but this is the church I call home, and, and you are the people that I call my brothers and sisters. So it's an honor and a privilege to be sharing with you today. Um, so thank you for that. We're going to be um, looking at Mark 5 today um, in, a, in a story about how God changes people's lives. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you some testimony of my, my own personal family um, and just be sharing about that. So let's start with the scripture. Let's start with the good stuff. So Mark 5, Mark 5, um, right before Mark 5 is a, a story that you probably have heard of. Um, Jesus feeds a bunch of people, and the crowds are really busy, and Jesus says, hey, disciples, we're going across the Sea of Galilee, and we're going to go over there. And they get in this boat, and they go, and it's nighttime, and there's this big storm, and it's like rocking the boat, and the waves are crashing. Jesus is like taking a nap. Disciples are freaking out. They're like, Jesus, don't you love us? We're going to die. He gets up and calms the storm. And they, and they crossed the sea because he had purpose in crossing the sea. He, he went through all of that just to have the encounter that we're going to read about today. Um, and, and so it's, it's on the heels of calming the storm in the middle of the night, crossing the Sea of Galilee, that we pick up in Mark 5. So we're going to look at Mark 5, 1 through 20 here. So they crossed to the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. And Jesus climbed out of the boat a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put in chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran out to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, do not torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. And the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. And there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. And the herdsmen, so Jesus gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and were drowned in the water. And the herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. And a crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. And he was sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away. And to leave them alone. So Jesus was getting in the boat, because this is all that they did over there. Jesus was getting in the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go to your family. Go home. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns called the Decapolis of that region 
and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everybody was amazed at what he told them. <sighs> Papa, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you change our lives and how you intersect our stories. And God, right now, I just ask for the presence of God to come and consume us and cover us. I pray for my words to carry the anointing of my life and for the power of the cross to be very great in this room right now. I give permission to the angels to exercise the authority of the cross in this place. And God, I just declare that this time is yours. Holy Spirit, you have free reign. Would you lead us into all truth? Would you give us eyes to see who we are as your children? Would you give us eyes to see the truth in the spiritual? In your holy name, amen. So as Chad says, I do education and stuff, and, and I'm actually an experiential educator, so the things that I do are a little interactive. So this is going to be one of those moments, okay? That's just like the Surgeon General warning. You're about to do something. So if you would indulge me, it would be, it would be awesome if you would put your hand on your head and you would make this declaration with me, okay? I'll say it first and then we can say it together. I command my mind to line up with my spirit and be submitted to the truth of God, okay? I command my mind to line up with my spirit and be submitted to the truth of God. Amen. You, you don't even know what you just did. It's going to be so good. <laughs> oh, man. So um, why preach on Mark 5 in the demoniac? It's a good question. Um, my story of my, my life and my childhood is a little bit like this story. Um, my, my family had <laughs> encounters uh, with this. So, so I, what I want to do is share some of my testimony with you and the truth that I know. Um, because I believe it's going to change your life. So my story starts before I was born. I was raised in a Christian home. My parents were both saved by the time I came into this world, but they weren't raised in Christian homes. My parents came to the Lord when they were in their 20s, and my dad was almost 30. Um, but my mother, when she was in her 20s and, and her late teens, she uh, was part of Wicca. My mother was a witch. My mother was a practicing witch. My mother wanted to be like Glenda in The Wizard of Oz. She wanted to be a good witch. She wanted to do good things and help people. Um, but she hadn't been involved in the occult very long when she began to realize that she wasn't actually in charge of the spirits that she worked with. She wasn't actually in charge of the things that she encountered and quickly learned that um, there is no such thing as light magic. There is no such thing as white magic. All magic is dark. Um, because it's not from God. And after some very scary encounters um, in fighting back a, a demon that was trying to take her life with a crucifix, she decided that she, the way that she had thought that things were was not the reality. The, the hope of being a good witch and doing good for people by using magic um, wasn't, wasn't going to 
go the way she thought it would. So she began to pursue what was the real power in the spiritual, what was the real power in the unseen realm. And this caused her to find Jesus and Christianity. And she gave her life to the Lord when she was in her mid-20s. And she, she tells us about how um, when she got baptized, and I'm from Wyoming, so people get baptized in rivers in Wyoming. Um, and they're super cold, and it's really awesome. Um, but as she was going down being baptized, she went down, and as she hit the water, she was exercised. Okay, the, the demon came out of her. So she was exercised going into the water, and when she came back up, she comes back up out of the water speaking in tongues. So, like, that didn't, like, actually fit her theology. She didn't have theology for that. It was just happening to her. So she goes down under the power of one spirit and comes up in the power of another spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit, because God is a good God. And when he sets us free, he sets us free in equal measure to the bondage that we were under. And somebody needs to hear that today. Somebody who's under bondage needs to know that God has freedom as equal and greater for you. So because my mom was involved in the occult, there were things that uh, happened in, in our home as a child. Um, things that you would only see in movies. I, I've actually seen those things um, and encountered those. As, and as a small child, my mom, um, because she had no choice, because there were these things happening, she taught us, as uh, my brothers and my sister and I, uh, about how to handle that. So my brother, my sister, and I, we each gave our life to the Lord between the ages of three and five, because when you see things moving by themselves, you don't really actually have to be told there's a spiritual. You know, you're like, okay, who's in charge? Jesus? Okay, I'm on his side. And it's an easy choice. <laughs> and my mom would teach us how to stand as children of God at the age of five. And at the age of five, I knew that I could speak the word Jesus to anything that was dark, and it had to leave me alone. And it did leave me alone, because Jesus lives in me. So at, the, so at a young age, she would teach us about spiritual warfare, and she would teach us about the truth of the enemy. Um, and it's... it's it's been good. Um, so some of the things that my mom uh, would talk to us about is she would tell us about who the enemy really was. So the media, and I don't mean that like the media, but like movies. Movies and the enemy want you to think about him as like equal to Jesus. That Jesus is good and the enemy is evil. But they're the same, right? You know, they're the angel and the demon on your shoulder. You know, they're, they're equal. They're yin and yang. They're opposites, but the same. Well, let me tell you the truth. The enemy is not equal to Jesus. The enemy is not equal. In fact, the enemy wants you to think that he has a kingdom. That he has a kingdom and a space and he has authority over things. That is not in the Bible. Did you know that? Did you know that the enemy has no kingdom? There is no kingdom of darkness. There is only the kingdom of light. 
So in order to have a kingdom, you actually have to have a king and you have to have a, a space and a domain of legitimate authority, legitimate territory that is yours to rule. The enemy doesn't have that. The enemy has no legitimate territory. He is the prince of nothing. He has influence, he has power, and he is a liar. But the only authority that he has is the authority that he cons you and I out of. See, we have authority because we are children of God. And God has shared that. He has made us co-heirs with Jesus. We have the same authority as Jesus. And the enemy cons us out of our authority and takes it. And he only has it illegally when we don't take it back. So the only space that the enemy occupies is the space you let him occupy. None of it's legal. It's all illegal. He's a squatter. So the, the enemy, not only is the enemy has no kingdom, he has no legitimate legal authority. He also is finite. He's limited. When Jesus, when, when, when Lucifer fell from heaven and the angels fell with him, his, his, his increase, his growth stopped. Okay? So the resources that he fell with in that time stopped there. And he's been using them and depleting them while he lies to you, while he cons you, and you overcome him. His resources get limited and his resources shrink. Meanwhile, God and heaven is growing and expanding. The universe, look it up, the universe is expanding. The universe is growing. The resources of heaven are increasing and expanding. And you, child of God, are growing and expanding. So not only is the enemy getting smaller, but heaven is getting bigger. You are getting bigger. He is decreasing, and you, connected to God, are increasing. So I like to think about the enemy. The, the, the accurate picture for me of the enemy is as a puffer fish. Does any, does any people know what a puffer fish is? So a puffer fish is this little fish. It swims around, and when it wants to intimidate something, it poofs up. And it's got these spikes, and it looks really scary. It's like, puffer fish. You know? And it, and it scares away, you know, whatever is going to eat it. And then as it calms down, it gets smaller, and it goes back to its size. See, the enemy, because he cannot create, he is not creative. He has the same lies and the same cons that he did in scripture. Same, same stuff. We just keep buying it, but he just keeps telling the same lies, right? And so you go to like stop that lie and he puffs. He's like, no, I am so big. I am so scary. But that's part of the lie. That's part of the con. You child of God, have nothing on the enemy. 
The enemy is so small compared to you. The enemy has the same intimidation over you as an ant has over a boot. Okay? Let me prove it to you. Let's look at, let's look at some scripture. Let me prove it to you. Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so I live this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in you in the fullness of who he is. There's more. Let's, let's look at some more. Ephesians 1, 4 through 7. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Beloved, you are holy and without fault in his eyes right now. Right now, this moment. That is how he sees you. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out upon us to, for us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He showered us with his kindness along with all wisdom and understanding. When Jesus died on the cross, it was done. It is finished. Jesus sees you as himself. Jesus looks at you and he sees himself. The enemy looks at you and he sees Jesus. So if we think about, you know, Mark 5, when Jesus goes to, uh, to this, this side where the burial caves are, and the demoniac comes and bows low before him and begs him not to torture him because he knows who he is. This is the way the enemy reacts to a son of God. This is the way the enemy is supposed to react to you when you know you are a son of God. The enemy bowed before Jesus. The enemy will bow before you. God sees you as the same as Jesus. God loves you the same as he loves Jesus. You have the same anointing as Jesus because he lives in you. You have the same inheritance as Jesus right now, today, because he lives in you. You have the same authority over the enemy as Jesus right now, today, because Jesus lives in you. See, Jesus isn't in bondage. Jesus isn't intimidated by the enemy. Jesus is free, and he lives in you, and you live in him, which means you are free too. And anything less in our life, in the way that we live, that's part of that lie. That's part of that con. That's part of that thing where the enemy has stolen something from us, and we don't know enough to go take it back from him. And he he tells us lies like, you deserve it. You were made that way. That's just the way it is. Go 
Those are lies. Those are lies, beloved. Jesus doesn't struggle with the enemy. There is no power struggle. You know, when I was in college, I wanted to decide if Christianity was really the thing. I mean, you'd think growing up in, in everything that I did, I would be sure. But I wasn't sure. I needed, I needed to... I needed to know I needed to know for sure. I needed to know for myself. Is is Christianity in the home that I grew up in? Is that is that what I really believe for the rest of my life? And I looked at other faiths. I I explored them. I didn't explore them deeply. It was kind of an intellectual exercise. Um and and read about stuff and, and did engage in a few things. Uh but the thing that I kept coming back to was that even the demons recognized Jesus as the Son of God. They don't, they don't do that for Buddha. They don't do that for Muhammad. The dead are not raised in the name of Muhammad. The dead are raised in the name of Jesus. So if even the darkness recognizes Jesus is the Son of God and Lord over them, who am I to disagree, right? If they can see all the things that I can't see, and that's what they know to be true? Okay, then. I can take that. <laughs> who, who, who am I in my fantasy to think differently? You know, Christianity, all these other faiths that I looked at, you know, the way that they practice their religions are by appeasing spirits making contracts, getting spirits to do good things or, or paying off and bribing the spirits not to do bad things. Christianity is the only one that says, I don't have to put up with that. I don't have to put up with their oppression. I don't have to make deals with them to leave me alone. I get to stand as a child of God and say, back off or something a little stronger if I need to. Get away from me. I have freedom. Jesus provided freedom for me, and I get to live in that. I don't have to atone for my mistakes anymore. The cross is enough. Jesus' blood is enough, and it's finished. It's finished. Jesus sees us, or sees himself when he looks at us. God sees Jesus when he looks at you. And God loves you the same as he loves Jesus. And God has anointed you the same as he has anointed Jesus. Now, I know that might be a little bit hard to believe, so let's, let me prove it to you. Colossians 1, 15 through 22. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before everything else, and he holds all of creation together. Let me tell you some truth. Jesus and Lucifer are not equal. Jesus created Lucifer. 
Jesus created Lucifer and all the demons and all the angels. He didn't make them fall, but he made them. They were created by him. He is still Lord over them. They still have to obey him. The enemy has no more power over Jesus than a pot has over a potter. The enemy has no more power over you than an ant has over a big boot. Picking up in verse 18. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who raised from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Jesus. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. And he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, and yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Jesus in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. You are holy right now. You are blameless right now. As you stand before him, you are without a single fault right now. You don't have to wait for heaven for this to be true. Jesus prayed for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so who you are in heaven is who God has called you to be here. You don't have to wait for this life to be over, for the freedom, for the bondage to end, for the struggle to end. Jesus said, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So who are you in heaven? That is who you are called to be now and who Jesus has paid for you to be now and who you have the freedom to be now. There is no battle. There is no battle with the enemy. Now, I battle in myself. I battle with my soul. I battle with the lies that I've owned and called true. I battle with the paradigms that I grew up in that told me I was nothing and I was just a little sinner and someday I would die and God would be good. Well, I'm tired of waiting for that day. I want it now. I mean, Chad said I'm scrappy and you know what? I hate the enemy. We have an understanding. I hate him. He hates me, but I win. The end. I'm a child of God. I win, I win, I win. There's no negotiation. There's no compromise. Little ant, I win. Amen? Does that get anybody excited? This is the truth. I'm not conning you. This is the truth. This is the truth. You can live in freedom here on this side of eternity. There is no battle with the enemy. He is defeated. You know, I wanted to, as the Lord was teaching me what that looked like, um, I I developed this habit where the enemy would come and he, I mean, the enemy enemy comes and he harasses me and he says things. And, you know, so maybe I uh, um, am talking with some people and, and they, they give me funny looks, right? They're not interested in what I have to say. And the enemy would whisper, 
you're not a very good teacher. You know, you, you kind of have a bad attitude. And instead of, like, engaging in that conversation with the enemy, what I learned to do was go, you know, you're right. And I would turn. And I would walk into the presence of my father, Papa, and i say, Papa, I have a bad attitude. Will you redeem me? Will you show me what that is in my heart that gives place to that? Will you show me where it is in my soul that the enemy has a foothold that he can come and harass me? Will you purify me? Will you heal me? And every time the enemy would come and he would point his finger and he would stick it and he'd be like, this is what's wrong with you. I would say, okay, yeah, you're right. I am a brat. Papa, I'm a brat. Will you heal me? (laughs) Will you love me? Will you want me to receive your love deep places in my heart so I don't have to prove myself to anybody? Papa, would you fill me? And every time the enemy would come, I would respond like that. And you know what? He hates. Because every time he would come and point out stuff in my life, I would get better. And I would get healed. And and I'm kind of like an escalator personality. And and that's what my husband calls me. He calls me an escalator. So what that means is that if you bug me or you harass me or you hit me, not only am I going to do equal measure back to you, but I'm going to do that and some. Because I want you to regret that you even picked the fight. Okay? So this is my attitude towards the enemy right? Because I I love people, most people, as long as you're not hindering my coffee. But (laughs) the enemy would come and he would attack me. And not only did I want to take back the thing he was stealing me, but I wanted him to regret the day he even spoke to me. So I'm like, God, heal me. And I would use every opportunity for deep healing. God, give access to every part of my soul. Why does he even have a place to talk to me? But not only that, but I want to share my testimony with you because I want him to so regret the day he ever spoke to me because now my freedom is your freedom. My testimony is your testimony. In the way that I found victory, you can have victory. I want him to be so sorry. And he is. He hates me. He hasn't bugged me in years. (laughs) He doesn't. He doesn't come and point things out to me hardly anymore. Because it sucks for him. Right? He loses. He loses big time. That's how I win over the enemy. That's how I have victory. Because I remember the truth of God and what God says to me and who he says I am. And I remind him of that. And I live in that. And I give God permission to make me be that. Here, today, now. This side of heaven, this side of eternity. But my testimony doesn't stop there. I want to tell you real quickly about my brother. My brother um, abused my sister and I my entire childhood. So I've had a lot of stuff to get healed from. My home was a violent home. I lived in terror every day of my life for 15 years. 
that he would hurt me, that he would hurt my sister. I mean, he hurt us. And that he would hurt my mother. And that my father, they're the same height, and, and you know, my father didn't know how to handle him or deal with him because they're both 6'4". <laughs> yeah, broken refrigerator. Anyway, cops would come. It was, it was, it was difficult. And the doctors kept trying to diagnose my brother with schizophrenia. And they kept trying to medicate him for schizophrenia. But it wasn't the right diagnosis. It wasn't the right medicine. And it would make it worse. And when he was 18, because he's older than me, he was 18, um, a new diagnosis came uh, medically uh, called bipolar disorder. This was the right diagnosis. This was the right medication. And as soon as he started taking it, he started to become a different person. Now, he went to college, and he went to a church, and, and the people, um, some people in the church convinced him that if he took his medication, it meant he didn't have faith in God. So he stopped. And um, one day in his apartment living room, he piled all of his Star Wars stuff into a big pile. And this was, this was a while ago, so like these are the original things be worth money now like the original millennium falcon it was about this big the hundred million parts and a hundred million stickers and he piled all of this stuff up in the middle of his uh, apartment living room and he lit it on fire he had to spend about a week in an institution um getting back on his medicine and that was that thanksgiving um but he never made that mistake again Instead, out of his heart to pursue God, he, he started seeking intimacy with God. He started pursuing mental health and relational health and inviting God into every aspect of his mind and every aspect of his life. And he's 39 today, and he's the healthiest human being I know. He's healthier than me. You know, he is so confident and sure of who he is in Jesus that he's in Hollywood in the film industry and, and the company that he works at, it's a, they're shipping uh, jobs overseas and so there are rounds of layoffs. And he goes to work and he's not intimidated. He's not afraid. He has this word from the Lord about how, what his transition will look like and he just knows that he knows that he knows he's not going to get laid off. And he's so sure. He's so solid of who he is as a son of God that he can have a bad day as a, in his marriage and it doesn't affect him. Like, like he knows. He, he knows. And he can be the dad he needs to be. And he can be the husband he needs to be. And I look at him and I'm like, wow, pray for me. You know? I'm, I'm still moved by the waves and the winds of life, but he's solid. And it's taken him 20 years to be there, but he's good. And he has none of the visible signs of bipolar or negative bipolar disorder anymore. He doesn't have anger. He doesn't have obsessive thoughts. He doesn't have rage, but he has the good things. He's creative. 
He has an amazing imagination. God uses him to prophesy into people's lives in ways that change their life. He writes prophetic children's stories and gives them to kids that that have secrets about their destiny. And he teaches kids how to move in the prophetic through these, these stories. My brother's mind is in full submission to the Lord. We can take back our lives. We can have freedom. The bondage doesn't have to be your story. And in fact, if you were a child of God, it's already done. It is finished. It is not your story. Heaven sees you as something different. And any degree that you live less than that is part of the con. So ushers, if you come... I'm, like I said earlier, I'm an experiential person. We're going to do something together. The ushers are going to come, and they're going to hand out a um, piece of paper to everyone. It's blank. And when they hand it out to you, I want you to write on it something that you want freedom from, a bondage that you want freedom from. Now, for you, and this is private. This is personal. Nobody's going to read it. When you're done writing, fold it up. Right? This is, this is between you and the Lord. It's, it's nobody else's business. But it may be an addiction. It may be a mental health issue. It may be a behavior that you have or a thing that you do that you don't want to do anymore. It may be an attitude inside of you that harms your relationships with others. It may be a person that you need to forgive because they still have power over you. Or it may be a a belief that you have about yourself that limits how far God is uh, able to take you into your destiny, how far you're willing to follow him. I've written something different on each, for each service, because the one last night we did this, and it's and it's done, amen? And the one this morning, same thing. So I have a new one because I'm taking every opportunity for my freedom. <laughs> and this one I wrote, a grasshopper mentality. God has told me a little bit about my destiny. And it intimidates me. I'm not intimidated by the enemy. He is an ant and I Crunch his face in. But I'm a little intimidated by what God wants to do with me. So I wrote it down. Because I want freedom from this. Ministry team, if you would come up. What we're going to do in just a moment is I'm going to have you stand and we're going to pray a prayer together. And... If you pray this prayer with us, what I would uh, really love for you to do would be to come up on the side aisles and throw your paper into the basket, and um, people on our ministry team are just going to anoint you with oil and bless you and agree with you because where two or more are gathered in agreement, it is done. It is the will of heaven. And so you you don't have to tell them what you wrote down. But we're here to agree. We're here to say, yes, amen, so be it with you. 
test God in this. Test that he is good and his word is real. And then he says that you are his child and you have the same authority over the enemy in your own life as Jesus does. Test him in this. Let him show you the truth of being a child, of being his son, of being his daughter. So we've got the prayer. So if you'd stand up. There's blanks, so that's where you say your thing on your paper. So all together, I declare that a grasshopper mentality has no power over me because I am a child of the Lord of heaven's armies. The blood of Jesus covers me and I break all agreements and contracts with a spirit of a grasshopper mentality. I bind myself to Jesus and I ask you, Jesus, to fill every part of my life and heart that the spirit of a grasshopper mentality occupies. God, Hide me in the shadow of your wing. Teach me how to live in the supply of heaven. And I surrender my life fully unto you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Oh, beloved, his love is so big. The cross is so thorough for everything that you need and everything. He dreams big dreams for you, not because he wants you to fail, but because he has already seen you succeed. So Papa, we just thank you. We thank you for this time, Lord God. I thank you for the courage of these people to trust you, to stand in their sonship, stand in their identity, and let you be God for them in them and through them. And we give permission to the angels to enforce all the declarations made today. Amen. So be it. It is finished. Somebody give the Lord a praise today. Somebody say thank you. Let's go and know and be blessed in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this North Rock resource. To find out more information about North Rock Church, check us out at www.northrockchurch.com.